Man, it's so good to be with you this morning. Uh, thank you for letting us be here with you. Uh, my wife, Melissa, uh, is here with me and our four children, Michael, Gideon, Sophia, and Rachel. Uh, Melissa is my co-laborer, not just my wife. She, she and I together, we uh, serve. We're missionaries with the International Mission Board, and we serve in South Asia. And uh, I'll talk about some of those particulars of what we do, where we do it, for how long we've been doing it. Uh, tonight, if you will join us at 5.30, where? In the chapel. All right. Uh, so uh, if you'll join us there tonight together, I'll share more about that. This morning, I did want to just share with you from the Word of God. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Joshua chapter 1. We're going to begin in, uh, in this passage in Joshua. Work our way through some passages in Joshua, and then we'll end up in, uh, in Matthew 28. Uh, I remember when I first met Pastor Hobson for the first time, I was wearing a Yankee hat, but uh, he, here this guy came, he had uh, like mirrored aviator sunglasses on, and uh, all of his hair was spiked up. It was uh, not quite as gray as it is now, and uh, came walking up, and uh, he had a big smile. He was chewing gum. He was talking to folks, and I immediately I was like, "Who? Uh, no, I don't like this guy. I don't like him." Uh, but uh, you know, there, he and I, we do have so many differences. I was thinking about that yesterday. There's so many things that we disagree on, and not serious things, but just peripheral things that we disagree on, that normally you wouldn't be friends with people who have all these differences with you. But uh, I think one of the things that so solidified my relationship to Hobson and to Holly is it's so obvious in his life, his love for the Lord Jesus. Um, and uh, one of the things that I always look for in people that always it stands out to me is genuineness. Meaning, your pastor who is here before you on Sunday morning and delivers the Word of God to you weekly, who is he on Tuesday? Or who is he on Saturday afternoon? Does he flip a switch when he comes here and he turns into, he puts on his pastor persona when he comes here and he's with his people and other times when he's away he's a different guy uh hobson's not that way he's always been the same guy and i've always respected him so much about that uh i love this brother thank you brother for letting us uh be with you this morning so joshua chapter one uh the lord has pulled off an incredible rescue of his people that he promised them he promised even their forefather, Abraham. Listen, one day, I know you don't have any children, you don't have any offspring, but one day you will. And you won't just have a son, you're going to be the father of many nations. And your people, they're going to end up in slavery, captivity. And they'll be there for 400 years, but I won't forget them. I'll rescue them. I promise you, Abraham, I'll rescue your people. And so 
it happened just as the Lord said. He provided a son, and then that son became the leader, the patriarch of a whole nation of people. And through Joseph and his sons, and through a famine, they all made their way down to Egypt. And then there arose a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. And so he began to treat the descendants of Joseph poorly and then turned those descendants into slaves. And they served in Israel, uh, sorry, in Egypt for 400 years. And then a mixed up, messed up young guy named Moses was out tending sheep in the wilderness still knew who he was, knew where he came from, but was exiled out of the land, cared for his people. And God spoke to him through a burning bush and said, it's time for me to bring my people out. And I'm going to use you to do that. And honestly, Moses, you're the worst candidate I could possibly pick. And that's why I'm picking you so that everyone will know that I did it. And so he uses Moses, delivers the people out of Egypt. So getting them out of Egypt was one thing. Getting Egypt out of them was another. And so it took 40 years to leech Egypt out of their system. All of the folks, all of the older folks who had so enjoyed and and strived, longed to go back to Egypt where they were slaves, they all died in the wilderness. And the younger generation, they rose up. And one of those younger leaders who rose up to be the leader was a man named Joshua. He was one of two men who, when they first spied out this promised land that God was going to give them, they said, This land is incredible. And it's ours to possess. We should go possess it now. But then 10 other men said, no, there's giants there. There's great difficulty in the land. We couldn't possibly go take this land. Joshua and Caleb said, but the Lord is with us. He's already given us the land. We should, we should take possession of it now. But they decided to disobey the Lord. And so the Lord broke that disobedience over 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. But now that period's come to an end. And Moses has died. And so it's a new chapter. They're about to cross over and go and take this promised land. There's an old hymn that says, uh, I stand on Jordan's stormy banks and cast a wishful eye. Talking about crossing over the Jordan to this promised land. And I, it's a beautiful hymn. It's just wrong. Because the promised land is not heaven. Those of us who are in Christ Jesus are in the promised land now. He's the promised land. And that's what that picture is supposed to represent of that you and I, we cross over into Christ and take full possession of all who he is. And he's given that to us. Before that happens, though, there has to be an assignment given, a, a very clear directive given for the people and for their leadership. So that's what we're going to pick up 
and Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. It's in pretty strong eulogy, right? Think of all that Moses was to these people. And this is what the Lord said. He's dead. Moving on, right? Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I've given to you. Just as I promised to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, to where the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all that the law of Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you'll have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Pretty familiar passage. If you've grown up in the church, you're, this is pretty recognizable territory to you. You've heard this before. You've, you've seen how this happens. And if you're studying through the history of God's people through the Bible, this is a big turning point, Moses to Joshua, and entering into this conquest period of the land. And so Joshua, the book of Joshua, he records as they go forward to do what the Lord has told them to do here. So I want to give you three points of this commissioning, okay? Of the instructions that God gives to Joshua and to the people. And then after we walk through Joshua a little bit, then I want to make application for us in the New Testament, okay? So, uh, the first truth or the first statement of truth that we can pull out of this command is that the Lord states his authority. It's pretty clear that he has said to Joshua, I am going to do this and I'm going to use you to do it. You, I'm going to Your people are going to take possession of the land. I'm giving the land to you just as I promised. I made promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, and I'm going to fulfill those promises right now through you, and it's going to be me. I'm the one that brought you out of the land. It was by my hand, right? It wasn't Moses. Moses going in before Pharaoh and saying, let my people go, did nothing to Pharaoh, right? 
all it ever did was really just make Pharaoh angry. He hardened his heart and he was not going to do that. And so all the, the plagues, the miracles that God does and, and lays upon Egypt are to show, to prove this isn't diplomatic. This isn't through the skill of Moses and Aaron. This is my hand. And here's, this is what he told Moses. Hey, Moses, he's not going to let him go. In fact, every, with every plague, he'll tighten his grip. And that's fine because my plan is I'm going to break his arm. I'm going to prove to him and to the world, Pharaoh at the time, the mightiest man in all of the known world. The Egyptians saw him as the embodiment of God, of the son God Ra. And so, and his son was the embodiment of the, their God of the moon, which when God killed his firstborn son, the moon was full and as full as it could be. If you go back and you look at that timeline and exactly how that matched up, it was a full moon and it was the precipice, the very height of the full moon and his son, Kansu, was killed by the Lord. Why did God do that? To show them, this is my doing. I've done this. You, you've not freed yourself. I freed you. I've done the work. And so the same God who saved you and delivered you, I'm giving you this land. All you have to do is be strong and courageous. Just take steps forward. I'm going to tell you what to do and where to go. You just take steps forward. So very clearly he states his authority. The second thing is that the Lord clearly commissions them for a task. You're to go and take possession of this land. And you're to utterly drive these people, these in, the inhabitants of this land, you're to go in and to drive them all out. Now he references just one of these people. Okay, he references the Hittites, but we know as this progresses on, there's Hittites, the Jebusites, the Perizzites, all of the ites, all right? They're all there. Uh, the Canaanites, they're living in this land, and God's saying, I'm going, as you come in, you're to push them out. So much so that they're not to remain here. No one's to be left. And he even tells them, you're going to go in and you're going to take possession. You're going to eat the fruit of vineyards that you didn't plant. You're going to harvest the fields that you did not sow. The cattle will be yours. The land will be yours. The cities will be yours. I'm giving all of it to you. All you have to do is continue to go forward. You continue to go forward. I'm going to be with you. You be strong and courageous. I'll do the work. You're going to take possession of the land. That cl very clear that this is what God's proposal is for them to do. This is the commission from the Lord. Third thing is this. The Lord promises his abiding presence as a dependent clause. If you do this, I will be with you forever. I'll be with you as long as you obey me. I'm going to be right with you. 
So his presence with them was dependent upon their obeying what he said for them to do, right? Pretty clear. And we get excited about this when we read this because we do know that they do cross over the Jordan and they come to this great city, the city of Jericho. We know all about the story of how huge the walls were, how big the city was. And these were, these were wanderers in the wilderness, okay? These aren't trained warriors. These aren't fighters. These are wanderers coming into this land. And Joshua, when he meets up with the captain of the Lord's host, and then is given the battle plan. March around this city for seven days. And then on the seventh day, blow trumpets, break clay jars, shout, and the walls will come down. Now, I don't have any military background. Uh, and really, my father was a pastor and my grandfather uh, was the foreman of a sawmill. And so don't really have military service in my history, uh, but that doesn't sound like a great battle plan, right? That sounds, if I had heard that, I would have thought, oh boy, we are in trouble. Because if this is the plan, if this is the best that we've got, uh, I don't see how that's going to work. But uh, God didn't ask for opinions or say, hey, Joshua, what do you think about this plan that I have? He just said, this is the plan. I want you to carry it out. And so they did. They actually did what God told them to do. And I just, I can't wait to meet these guys one day and just say, when you shouted and you saw those walls fall, what happened inside of you? Were you just stunned? Were you in awe? Were you excited? Were you filled with passion? Are you ready to go and storm the city? What happened in you when that, when what God said would happen, happened right before your eyes? So they go in, they take Jericho, and then they start feeling, they start forgetting that the Lord did that. And that they only ever walked in the success of the Lord. And so then they said, hey, what's the next city? Oh, it's, it's Pocosin. We took Washington, D.C. Now we're going, <laughs> Pocosin's down there. We got this. Pocosin's nothing compared to what AI, AI is nothing compared to Jericho. We'll go down there and we'll, we'll it'll, you know, we'll have time for lunch. And they go down and they get, defeated by a much smaller force, a much smaller city. Why? The Lord didn't say go to AI. They said, we've got this now. Thank you, God. Thanks for getting Jericho out of the way. We got it from here. And so they learned a lesson there that that was not the case because that was not what he told Joshua. You rely on me. You trust me. You, uh, listen, all I need from you is be strong and courageous. That's all I need you to do. And I'll show you where to go, when to go, what to do. But they got ahead of themselves. They were defeated. They learned a lesson there from that. And they started being patient and waiting on the Lord to show them what to do next. So then they go in, they experience lots of different successes. There's some failures along the way, but lots of successes and so then, when you get to Joshua chapter 13, 
You can just, we're not going to read all of these passages, but I want to make mention of them so you can see how this progresses. Joshua chapter 13, the Lord, it's like a status report with, with Joshua. Because the people had started to spread out now. They'd conquered enough area, driven out enough of these, the enemies, that they were starting to take possession of some of the land. And so, and they were all split up by their tribes, these families. So they're starting to take some possession. And so then in Joshua chapter 13, the Lord says to them, Hey, Joshua, what are y'all doing? Because I see that you're taking possession, but you stopped conquering. We, we've been on this campaign, and, and, and there's been a lot of movement, but now you've stopped, and you've settled. There's still a lot of the land left to possess. So Joshua then goes to the heads of all of these tribes and these families to say, okay, so what's going on? Why are we, why is it not going forward? So then in Joshua chapter 17, verses 12 through 18, they're reporting back to Joshua and they say, well, just to be honest, it's real hard. Like, like the, the people that are still left, they're up in the mountains. It's hard. It's hard to fight battles up in the mountains. They're kind of fortified up there, and, and, and we have to, like, go up to them to have these battles, and that's, that's really hard for us to do that. And then well, what about the people down by the coast? What about that, those areas? Yeah, you know, we went down there, and then we realized there's a lot of really good tradesmen down there. They're very skilled. You should see some of the stuff that they produce. And the stuff that they make is really useful to us. They, they've built and, and produced a lot of things that we really need. So maybe we thought we can just work with them. Well, we don't have to drive them out. We'll just, we'll partner with them. And then some of these other areas over here, how do I say this? Their women are beautiful. And we would really like for our sons to marry their daughters. I think that that would be a good match. But that's not what the Lord said. He said, I want you to go in and take full possession of this land. And I don't need your opinions on any of it. I just want you to do what I'm telling you to do. Because here was what's at stake, and this is what the Lord knew, and this is what the Lord tells Joshua, and then Joshua relates to these heads of these families. Look, they can't stay here, because if they stay here, you will want to marry their daughters. What's so bad about that? Their daughters will worship gods that are not the Lord. And they will take your hearts away from the Lord and you will start worshiping other idols. And so what they say to Joshua in chapter 17 is, no, 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 no. That, that's not going to happen. No, no, no. That we're, this is purely logistics. We're just trying to think ahead, Joshua. We're just trying, you know, why, why do these battles up in the mountains where more of our people might die? We don't want to do that. We'll just... They'll stay up there. They'll stay up there. They're not going to bother us. 
And these folks down here, these Philistines, they're not going to bother us anymore. We're going to partner with them. And, and we won't marry in with them. We'll, we'll, keep, our, we'll keep our families pure. We, we won't intermarry and we won't start that. We won't start worshiping other gods. Yeah, I think you guys have read enough of the Old Testament to know that that was false, right? Why, why did Israel end up going into captivity? Why? Idolatry. Where did that start? Right here. They would not obey. They obeyed a part of what God had said, but not fully. Now, like I said, I've got four children. How many of you have children, have raised children? Would you just raise your hand if you've raised children? All right. What you parents, what would you call it if your children partially obeyed you? What do you call that? Disobedience. Partial obedience is just disobedience. So what he had commanded them to do in Joshua chapter 1, when they say they partially obeyed, the truth is they just disobeyed him. And what he told them would happen did happen. And their hearts were pulled away. So when you get to Joshua chapter 24, and he's at the end of his life, and he's with all of the people, all of the assembled people together, this is what he says to them, his final words. Put away your foreign wives and put away these foreign gods. Worship the Lord. And they said, we will. We, we're going to only worship the Lord. And he says, but back in their tents and in their dwellings were all of their idols. Their hearts had already been given over to idolatry. And so then the, all that they could have had and possessed slipped through their fingers. This kingdom, this land, this promised land that he was going to give to them, it just didn't last. So, Turn to Matthew chapter 28. Let me draw some parallels for you. In Matthew 28, the Lord has accomplished an incredible rescue. The people were in bondage to a greater enemy than Egypt. In bondage to sin itself. And the Lord, by his righteous hand, has delivered salvation to his people. Not through any works that we have done, but through his own power and might. He brought salvation, deliverance, redemption for us. You and I did not earn salvation. You're not good enough, smart enough, wealthy enough, good-looking enough. None of those things. You are, here's simply put, you are not enough. And Jesus 
is enough and more. And he has delivered salvation for us. And so this is, you can marry what's happening here at the end of Matthew with the beginning of the book of Acts. What is said there in in Acts chapter 1, Jesus meeting with them there, this could even be on the same day of meeting together. But it's toward the end of his time, after he's been raised from the dead, he has been seen by over 500 people. Some, many believe, but there's still some that are doubting. And he is with them. And he says, in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth. And only to him. Why? Philippians chapter 2 says, because he stepped out of glory and didn't count his deity as something that he wanted to hang on to or his, his fullness, his Shekinah glory of God. He said, I'm, I'm going to cloak myself in human flesh and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to be God but I'm going to all now I'm going to also be man fully God and fully man. He came to earth, not as royalty, not as a crown prince, not as a conquering king or ruler born to a teenage girl and a carpenter took on the form of a servant Served his whole life. Think about it. The king of glory started with having to have his diaper changed. And then had to wait for things to happen. This is the one who said, let there be light. And there was light who created all of the universe out of his own mind and then had to wait around on other people to do things took on the form of a servant, kneeled down in front of those men, cleaned their feet, constantly serving people over and over, took on the form of a servant, was obedient to the point of death. And then I love how Paul says, even the death of the cross. And because of that, He has been highly exalted. And he has been given a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. So he says, because of my death, burial, and resurrection, and because I'm standing here right now and you're hearing these words out of a resurrected mouth, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. I alone claim it. And then this is what he says, with all of that authority that he alone has earned, he says, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age.
If you look at what he says there and what the Lord said to Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, they mirror each other. Why? He clearly states his authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I alone have the authority. He said to Joshua, I alone pulled off this rescue and delivered you out of Egypt, brought you through the wilderness, going to take you into this land, I alone. Jesus said, I alone bore the wrath of God on the cross. I alone exchanged my righteousness for your sin. I alone. And so with the authority that I now have, I'm going to commission you to a task. So not only does he state his authority clearly, number two, the Lord commissions them clearly for a task. Here's what I want you to do. It is amazing to me how many Christian people that I meet who say, I just wish I knew what God wanted me to do. I just wish I knew what God's will for my life was. You can go to Christian bookstores. I don't, well, do they still have Christian bookstores? I don't know. Maybe they do. Uh, but look it up on Amazon or wherever you are purchasing books these days. Christian self-help stuff and so much stuff has been written about helping you to discover what it is that God wants you to do. He says it right here. This is what I want you to do. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. But maybe he's only talking to like Pastor Hobson or other pastors, right? Maybe only to them. Is that true? Or maybe it's only like to me, to a missionary, only missionaries and pastors, they should do that. Or maybe elders, elders, pastors, missionaries, they should do that. But not you normals. The problem is, is that there's no asterisks. There's no asterisk where he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. There's an asterisk and you look at the bottom of the page and he says, oh, only pastors, elders, missionaries, uh, evangelists, teachers. No, us, he's talking to us. Our problem is, is that we think that, that maybe either number one, he's only talking to a select group of people or that if he is talking to all of us, this is actually optional. And that there's so many other things for us to obey the Lord in, but not in this. Are there any other commands of Jesus that you can think of that would fit into that category? Where you would say, that's an optional thing. Like, for instance, when Jesus said that the greatest command of all was to love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Maybe that's optional. You, do you think that there would be Christian people that would say, maybe Jesus is only talking to some people, that only some people ought to love the Lord with all their heart? Or is he talking to all people, all of us? I think it's all of us, right? And is it optional? Should, should, you, should it be an option for those of us who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus to say, uh, only maybe sometimes I'll love the Lord with all my heart? Or is it not optional? Or what about loving your neighbor as you love yourself? Is that only for some of you? Is it only for some of us that only some of us should love our neighbor as ourselves? Or is that for all of us? I think it's for all of us. And is it optional? No. Commands 
are imperatives, meaning he, he intends for you and I to do these things. Not in your own power, never in our own power. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we're supposed to obey. Same thing is true in this passage. With that authority, he tells us to go and make disciples of all nations by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why you take what he says at the end of Matthew, couple it with what he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, and that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We're going to be, you will be his witness. Whether you're a terrible witness or a witness that shows off and demonstrates the glory of God, that's up to your your own relationship and walk with the Lord. But he says, you're going to be my witnesses. So take what he says here. And then he says that I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. So thirdly, he also promises his abiding presence as a dependent clause. We love to take verse 20 and rip it out of its context and then carry it around with us. That the Hey, the Lord's always with you. The Lord's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. But he did say that with verse 19. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. And if you do that, I'll be with you always. You'll never do it by yourself. I'm not asking you to go out into the world and, and just, uh, okay, I don't know what to do. I, I, I'm so scared. I, how am I going to do this? I'm with you. I've thought about that so much over the past few years of when I'm walking out of my flat, what if when I opened the door, leaned up against the wall, was the Lord Jesus? And he popped up when I walked out. He said, you ready? You ready to go out? Let's do this. What about for you in the morning? We're all about meeting with the Lord, communion with the Lord in the morning, having our quiet time. But what about when you walk out of the house and you're ready to get in the car? What if he were standing there? He walked out and he said, oh, man, I could hardly sleep last night. I was so excited about today. Are you ready to do this today? You ready to go out today? To do what? Let's go share with people. Let's talk with them about the good news. Let's go share with them. I mean, would you be scared or nervous or any of your other hangups about sharing the gospel if you saw the Lord Jesus and he said, I'm going to go with you today to do it. Would you be nervous about it going out and sharing? I wouldn't. I wouldn't at all. I'd be so excited. I would be so thrilled because I would sit down and I might, you know, I don't know. I might start the conversation. And I'd say, and Jesus, here you go. Right. And that's what he says he wants to do anyways. And he says that that's true anyways whether you can see him or not. I'm with you always. If you will be obedient to what I'm telling you to do, I'm going to be with you. You don't have to do this by yourself. I'm going to be with you. But what happens? What happened to us? What happened then? We read in the book of Acts, 
an explosive movement. They hit, the Holy Spirit comes down. And for the first time in all of human history, the Holy Spirit of God indwells humanity, lives inside of us, and then seals into us. We don't lose him. He doesn't leak out. He's there. He's in us. And so then the gospel goes forward. The whole world gets turned upside down through uneducated men and rebels and formerly persecutors. They all join together and they take the gospel forward. And we see incredible things all throughout the rest of the uh, New Testament. And throughout the, all the history of uh, missions and movements throughout all of the world and up to now in 2022, and there's almost 8 billion people on planet Earth, and about 3 billion people have never even heard the name of Jesus before. How did that happen? Well, we did the easy stuff. We've done all the easy stuff. We've, we're invested, this is what I find. We're invested in mission trips and mission places that the plane ride's not too long. And the language is, well, we kind of, we can pick up some of that language. That's okay. We're used to that lingo. And we'll go to countries where we say, I, I like that food. Food's not that bad. That food's Okay. And they got good accommodations there. They've got good hotels. And, and we go out and we share. And we, we've done all the easy stuff. You know where those three billion people are? In hard places. Where it's a long plane ride from here. And the culture is so different from this culture. And the food is so different from your food. Whatever you're about to go eat for lunch today is not anything like what those people are going to eat for lunch. And the language is so different. And what they believe is so far away from what we believe. And so we said, hey, listen, God, we, we've reached a lot of people. There's a lot of people who are believing. We, we have obeyed this. We've done a lot in obeying this. I mean, we haven't done it. When you said make disciples of all nations, we haven't done that. But we've done a lot of that. So we've partially obeyed him. Which is disobedience. Now look. I came in, first thing I saw was this over here on the wall. I loved it. I don't even know those couples, but I feel a kinship to them. Those families, the work that's going on. I know that there's support here in this church for seeing the gospel go forward. But this is what I want to say to you this morning. And I feel like what the Lord's saying to us is we're so close to being just like the people in Joshua's day of saying, we've, we've done enough. We've done enough. We've, we've gone as far as what we feel comfortable with. 
And that's the problem. Why didn't they go and take those people out of the mountains? Because it was going to be hard. Why don't we engage these last places on earth where there's no gospel witness? These 3,200 unreached, unengaged people groups where there's no gospel witness at all. Why haven't we penetrated that darkness? Because it's hard. And we have forgotten that he said, I will be with you. You just obey me. You just do it. And I'll accomplish the work. You just keep going forward. And we forgot that. And so one of the things that's hard for Melissa and I, we're right now, we're on our stateside assignment. So we come into churches and we are pleading with people to stop being so stinking comfortable. Stop being pragmatic. It's time to start pushing forward again. Now, here's the good news. Revelation chapter 7, all around the throne of this lamb that was slain are going to be people from every single people group on the planet. All those 3,200 people groups who yet have a gospel witness, they will they will have a gospel witness and there will be people from every one of those people groups around the throne saying glory and honor and power and praise to the lamb who was slain. We know that that is going to happen. But between now and that day, millions upon millions are passing into eternity without ever hearing the name of Jesus at all. And we have said, we've obeyed a lot of what you said. We've done a lot of the work. But what it's going to take, somebody asked me last weekend, do you think that, that this will ever actually happen, though? Do you ever think that this will actually happen? I do. But what it'll take, and I don't know that it's going to be from America but what it'll take, it'll be God's people saying, okay, the only thing that we really need is the presence of the Lord. And he's promised us his presence if we'll move forward. So that's really all we need. And so we're just going to move forward. People said, well, you don't have the funding to do it. Don't need funding. Uh, you don't have the access. Some of, these, some of these governments are closed off. Some of these countries are closed for, for getting the gospel into them. Don't need that. All I need is his presence, and he's already promised it. I have all that I need to see this task accomplished. All I have to do is step forward in faith to do it. Before we end, here's what I want to say to you today. This morning, this isn't about guilt. If you're looking or you're reading these things and you're hearing this and you're saying, okay, I, yeah, I've not really been doing all that I can do. This isn't about condemnation. 
If you're my brother and sister in Christ, there isn't any condemnation for you. That was all heaped on Jesus, and he died wearing it so that you and I could be free from it. So this isn't about condemnation. This is, here's what I'm trying to do. I want to grab you by the shoulders and say, let's get to work. Let's not, let's not take it easy. Let's not pull back. Let's continue pushing forward. So here's what I want to challenge you to do, okay? On this table over here, there's these little cards. They look like this. And it had, this has a little code on here. Y'all are kind of familiar with these now, right? Yeah, these aren't just for ordering food from the internet, all right? These are, uh, this will take you, if you use your camera on your phone, this will take you to your app store, and it'll take you to the Pray ASAP app, all right? ASAP, we use ASAP as, as soon as possible, right? But ASAP means the affinity for South Asian people. That's where Melissa and I work. We work in South Asia, which there's 1.8 billion people in South Asia, 99% lost. Okay, 1.8, 99% lost, All right? So what this will do, it's not going to flood your phone with all kinds of notifications or not going to ask you to sign up, not going to ask you to pay for anything, anything like that. What it's going to do is once a day, you're going to get a little notification that says, pray right now for this request. Somebody in South Asia, there's a work that's going on. It'll either highlight a people group or it'll highlight a work that's going on. And it'll say, right now, would you stop right now and pray? How hard is it to do that? To just be having a conversation or you're at work and you've got your phone on your desk or you're in the car or wherever you are, a little notification comes on, you tap on it, passes up, you look at that. Oh, I'll pray right now. Lord, this thing, this has been offered up. I want to pray right now and ask that by your spirit, God, you would work in this situation that... You would send out laborers to work in this people group that doesn't have access to the gospel. Or God, this, this missionary who needs this work this, is asking this request. God, would you work on behalf of this thing right now? What if thousands of people all over the world at the same time just started petitioning the Lord? Do you think he would move? Of course. He's already said he would. So he's just waiting for us to pray. So this is step one. Pray. Oh, you can give. We're getting into the last little bit of the year. The Lottie Moon Christmas offering's coming up. That's where when you give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, that goes towards supporting the International Mission Board and missionaries all around the world. 100% of your gifts go toward making, seeing that the gospel goes forward to the nations. Okay. How many of y'all have heard of Lottie Moon Christmas offering? Okay. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. So this is what I ask you to do starting today. Jesus, what do you want me to do? Not what I'm comfortable with or what's pragmatic. What do you want me to do so that we can see this accomplished? The good news, boy, this is so exciting. This past week, it was announced that last year, see, people make pledges or they give in December, and that moves forward to the rest of the year. And so then about last week or about 10 days ago, the final accounting for last year's Lottie Moon came in. $203 million, the largest Lottie Moon Christmas offering of all time has come in, which what that says to me is, hey, maybe God's people are starting to get excited about let's finish the task. He's appointed us to this task. He's commissioned us to this task. Let's see it done. I, 
Don't you want to see that in your lifetime? Wouldn't you want to see that in your lifetime to where that that 3,200 unengaged, unreached people groups that you just, throughout the years, the years coming up, you just see that number decrease, decrease, decrease. And then what if it gets down into the hundreds? There's only hundreds of them left. What about if it gets down into the dozens? There's just dozens of them left. And so much work is going forward. What does that money do? What does that do? They, everyone who says, I want to go, I want to go. The IMB has to say, we want to get you there. Here's what it costs to get you there. Here's the money that we have to, in order for you to get there. And so the greater the amount of giving, the greater force in going. So that every single person that says, I want to go, that they can say, all right, let's go. Not, oh, wait, we're still pulling in fun. No, let's go. Okay, that's what it means. So you can pray, you can give. We can go. We can go. Now, here I look around. Maybe a lot of you in here that you say, oh, <laughs> talking to younger folks now. Not me. I'm out of that. I don't have time right now, but if I did, I'd just walk you through the scriptures and show you every old person that God used. It kind of has an affinity toward that. He loves using old people. You know how old Moses was when he grabbed him from that fiery bush? 80. It was an 80-year-old man. Well, I'm too old. You're not too old. You're just enjoying retirement, which is a farce. Why not use these last few years to do something impactful for the kingdom of God? And then what about you younger folks? Yeah. What about you younger folks, you younger couples? You say, well, well, we got a bunch of kids. I got a bunch of kids. All that really matters is, is he saying your name or not? Is he calling you or not? And so maybe, just maybe, this is kind of, ringing a bell for you, stirring something in you. Love for you to come back tonight. Let's talk about it some more. Last thing is this. So you can pray, you can give, you can go. Fourth option, disobey. Or you can just flat disobey. You can look around and say, there's, a, there's enough people in here that I'm sure other folks will get involved in this stuff. We don't really, I don't have to do that. No. Because he's commissioned every single one of us. To participate in this. So before you leave here today, Melissa and I are going to be standing over here at this table. We want, we'd love for every one of you to grab one of these cards and take it with you. Get signed up under the Pray ASAP app today. If you say, I don't even have one of those. I don't even have a smartphone. That's fine. You can still pray. God, God still accepts old-fashioned prayers. And just keep praying for missionaries. Give, start praying today. God, what do you want us to do? Sacrificially giving so that the task can be completed. Or going, short term, long term, whatever it is. God, I'm completely available to do all that you want me to do. Or you can just disobey. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much, Lord, for today, for your word the challenge from your word. Boy, it would be so much easier just to uh, 
do a little chicken soup for the soul message and everybody go and have Sunday lunch and feel just so wonderful about who they are. But the truth is, Lord, probably a lot of us have not been walking in obedience in this area. And you've challenged our heart with that this morning. And so, Lord, forgive us for letting difficulty and challenge push us back from obeying you. That when we think about where, does the, where is the gospel most urgently needed, what are the places of intense darkness in the world, of the pockets of deep lostness, they're far from right here. The cultures are so different from this one. The religions are so dark. And so, Lord, we've assessed that and we've passed on that. So, God, convict us. And as we repent of that, God, forgive us. And so, Lord, I pray for Pocosin Baptist Church that there'd be a stirring that takes place in here an awakening that we really do believe that Jesus is the only hope for all of mankind. Not just for people in Pocosin, Virginia, and not just for people in Virginia or people in America, but Lord, for the whole world. You're the hope for the whole world. And so God, help us to live lives that reflect that that's what we really believe. That apart from Jesus, people have no hope. And so God, shake us to do all that you'd have us to do. Every one of us needs to be praying. God, every one of us needs to be giving. Lord, you put in our heart, you show us uh, the amounts and, and where that you want those gifts to go. God, there's some in here that, Lord, that you're saying their name, and you may have been saying their name for a while. And so, Lord, I pray that they would be obedient to you to step out in obedience. You, All they need is your presence, and you've already promised that. So, God, I pray, help them to take hold of that. But, Lord, I pray every one of us in here would be about the business of seeing disciples made of all nations for the glory of of God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen.